Lord, there's seasons and times where it's, it's easy for us to come to you in prayer and to feel connected. There's those mountaintop day times where we look out and we see all the good things that you've done in our lives and in the lives of others. We see you working in the world and we're in amazement of all it is that you've accomplished and your great love and your grace for us. Then there's those moments, Lord, in the, in the dark of night where we feel alone and separated and afraid. Where it's not easy to connect with you, God, and it's not easy to see all that you're doing and what you're accomplishing in the world. Those times where it seems like things are more out of control than in control. And Father, we recognize that either of those times, you're worthy of everything that we can give you. And that, Father, you're in complete control of the things that are happening in this world, whether or not we, we can see it or not. Help us just, Lord, to realize how valuable it is to have a relationship with you. To know your grace and your goodness in all of our lives and to have an opportunity to spend eternity with you with a place at your table, sitting as a part of your family. Father, I just pray today as we open the word that you would open our hearts to what it has to say to us and that, God, you would encourage us that you would motivate us and you would challenge us by the things that we, that we uh, study today. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Hope you have had a lovely weekend so far. If you are a kind of person that loves hot and humid weather, this is your season right here. So <clears throat> how many of you are the kind of people that like hot and humid weather? All right, there is one, two, <laughs> there is a division in the Cormier family over the hot and humid weather right there. Uh, how many of you prefer 70 degrees and sunny? Yes, all right, don't we all, right? Um, you, you only get that a couple places in the world, and it's very crowded there, just so you know. Uh, but uh, this is summer in Louisiana, and we, uh, we can, I guess, we'll enjoy it uh, for what it is. This summer, we've been going through a series of messages through the book of Philippians, and uh, Philippians is a very challenging book, because as Paul is writing the text of Philippians, he is, he is literally trying to flesh out for us the shape or the appearance of what a Christian looks like. And he's given us a lot of, of real-life details on what the life of a Christian appears to, to be. And, uh, and I think that's a really important thing for us to study. Because, because in the world today, there are a lot of different people that have competing ideas about what it means to be a Christ follower, right? And you, you, probably, you probably run into people before, and they'll say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I, I love the Lord. And then you watch something that happens as a part of their life, or you see an attitude reaction to something that didn't quite go their way, and all of a sudden, you're, you're, you're having a hard time reconciling those two things, aren't you? On one hand, on one hand they, they have a confessed faith, but on the other hand, it's not a lived out faith. And Paul, Paul attempts to help us see what it looks like to live out our Christian faith. And we've taken a look at a lot of different aspects of that. Today we are going to be in Philippians, the third chapter. We're going to pick up in the middle of Philippians 3. Um, if you would like to read the first portion of it, Paul is directly dealing 
with a situation that he dealt with almost everywhere in the world at that time where there's, there's people that are coming in behind and they're trying to add to, um, the, add to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're trying to strip away the simplicity of the gospel message and they're trying to pack a whole bunch more stuff on it, right? And, uh, and, and that never works well. Um, number two, Paul is pointing out it's not my gospel. And, and these people did something that, in fact, still today, people do this all the time. When, when, when someone would say, well, that's not what I was taught, or that's not what Paul was taught, these people would then say, well, we, we know better. We know better. We, we have an edge on you. We, we, we have just a little bit better form of Christianity than what you do. And Paul is seeking actively to debunk that theory in the first part of Philippians 3 into the middle section. But as he goes into the middle section of Philippians 3, he really kind of puts teeth on the message. And so we're going to go there today. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to lose our happiness? Someone cuts us off in the middle of the road while we're trying to get into to grab breakfast at, at Hardee's or McDonald's or wherever you eat breakfast, right? We, we get angry. Um, you're having a bad hair day. Your clothes that you put wanted to wear that day just didn't work, all right? Now, I don't have too much problem with that. I'm a boring dresser, and I don't have any hair. So um, that works out really well for me. Uh, but, but some of you guys are a lot more adventuresome in your clothing outfit, and, and you have hair to deal with. Um, some, of us, uh, some, of us, uh, some of us run into financial issues, um, bunches of things in life really don't matter, but if, if we don't watch it, they steal our happiness in a moment. Everything was good until that person said that that way. Everything was wonderful until we read that Facebook post. Everything was going great until that person texted us, or we ran into that grouchy cashier at the store, or that person that cut us off in line. And all of a sudden, all of our happiness kind of implodes. And, and I want you to know today that God did not call us to live in a peaks and valleys kind of life. God wants us to live with a stability that, that comes from understanding what Paul is going to talk to us about. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Philippians, the third chapter. We're going to pick up in verse number seven today. And uh, Paul is talking about the things that we value in life. Because the truth is, is that we get upset about things sometimes simply because we don't feel like we're valued or others don't value things in the same way that we do. And that is always, for human beings, a, a challenge. But I want you to notice what happens here, what Paul says here in Philippians, the third chapter, verse 7. Paul said, I once thought these things were valuable. Now, these things are, well, his pedigree, if you will. He, he's just talked about, he said, you, you want to you wanna know what a good Jew looks like? I'm a good Jew. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. I have every connection to spirituality that you could ever ask for. But that's not what it's about. Paul said, I, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. What was the most important thing to you before you began following Jesus Christ. And I know some of you here today, you kind of grew up in a church family. You grew up coming to church, and so it's going to be a harder question for you. Some of you know this question very, very quickly. But what were the most important things to you before you became a Christian? Was it work? Was it your career? Was it making money? 
Maybe it was getting a date with that particular person. Maybe it was being popular. Maybe it was having a security and being famous. I don't, I don't know what the case might be. But there's a lot of things that we tend to value. Um, and we tend to put a lot of work into those things. And Paul said all the things in life that I worked for, and if you look at his pedigree and you understand a little bit of the Jewish history behind that, you recognize that Paul not only had access to great opportunities, but Paul had worked very, very diligently. In fact, we first meet Paul, he is the great persecutor of the church, right? He, people are laying their clothes at the young man by the name of Saul at that point, at his feet as they're stoning the life out of Stephen, one of God's early deacons in the church. And so you recognize that Paul was ambitious and Paul was driven, Paul was, was about getting things done and you see that as a part of his life even as an apostle of Jesus Christ. But there's something that has changed. Can I ask you to ask a question about everything in your life right now? There's a lot of things probably flooding our mind. This morning I got a text from one of my good friends. We, we typically text about four of us on Sunday morning. Someone texts a text of encouragement. And he got the early bird today. He was like 6.30 or something like that. And he said this. He said, I know there's a lot of other things in, on your minds today than preaching the word. And, and, and you know, I, I know that he's right. And I know that they live in a part of the country where they're working through a lot more difficult things than sometimes we are here in the South. But how much will all of this matter in 100 years? How much of the stuff that we worry about right now is even going to matter tomorrow. Now, there's some things in that list that are going to matter tomorrow. I understand that. There are things in life that concern us that are important, and we carry those to God in prayer. But the vast majority of the things that tend to suck out our joy and to take out our, our, our good view of the day are not the kinds of things necessarily that are going to matter 100 years from now, and many of them won't even matter in the morning. When Thomas Naylor was teaching business management at, 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 uh, at Duke University, he, uh, he wrote that he, he asked his students to draft a pers personal strategic plan. And he, what he wanted them to know is, what do you want to do in your life? He's doing business management, right? And he's talking about all the things that you have to do, thinking ahead, setting things up, being prepared for the opportunities of the future. And so he said, I want you guys to practice this. I want you to create a strategic plan for your life. You're not running a business yet, but you are running your life. And, and this is something that was interesting. He said, I read those for years. And he said, almost without exception, what they wanted fell into three categories. You'll think we're as predictable as we are as humans, but here it is. You could probably guess these this morning, but we're not going to take time for that. Here's the three categories. He said they wanted money, they wanted power, and they wanted things. He said sometimes they wanted very big things, vacation homes, they wanted uh, foreign automobiles, they wanted yachts, a lot of them wanted even airplanes or jets, right? Who doesn't? Um, and, and that was their, their request of the faculty. He said at the end of that report, he said, how can I help you achieve the goal? And here's what 90% of the students that took this survey said, teach me how to be a money-making machine. I, I want to be successful. Teach me how to, how to do it big time. <laughs> I don't want to just be kind of an entrepreneur. I want to be absolutely the richest man ever. And that's not exactly a very exalted aspiration in life, is it? There's no thought of humanitarian service. There was no thought of spiritual values. He wrote, what these people wanted was what many people want. Maybe even what most people say they want but not what's going to make anyone happy. 
You can choose to live your life for eternity, or you can choose to live your life for today. Paul said, I have made my choice. Everything is worthless when it's compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And we're going to talk a little bit about that and how we're going to apply that today. Michelle and I had a saying in the, in the house when we were younger, and we, we should say it more because I think it was really a powerful little saying that shaped a lot of our decisions. Um, when we kind of ran across something, we tried to figure out what to do with it. And Michelle's better at this than me. She would often say, Jason, it's all going to burn. Someday the book of Revelation tells us that everything in this world is going to be burned up. Everything that we've worked for, everything that we struggled to get, and if, if you're a little bit older today, you know that if it doesn't burn up, it's going to rot away or it's going to decay, it's going to turn to rust, it's going to be taken from you. Nothing in this world <laughs> is something that we can hold on to indefinitely, except one thing. And Paul said, I will trade everything for that one thing the knowledge, the va infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. What is so valuable about simply knowing Jesus? What is it that would take this highly ambitious, highly talented, highly educated man and allow him to get rid of everything else in his life, to cash in his, his, his uh, occupation and his position in Jewish hierarchy? What would allow him to, to, to be willing to go and be a, a traveling preacher, to endure imprisonments and beatings? What is it that that would allow him to do that? What's so valuable about simply knowing Jesus Christ? Paul said, for his sake, I've discarded everything else and I've counted it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. I want you to know something this morning. I really believe this to be true. You are as close to God as you want to be this morning. You are as close to God today as you want to be. When you ask most Christians and they're surveyed, you ask them and say, hey, what's one thing you would like? They said, I really would like to be closer to God. And we act as though it's something that's not attainable or something that we have to have some kind of a special recipe for. But, but church, I want you to know today that God has done everything on his half, on his side, to make sure that we have unrestricted access to him, Right? He sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins, to wash away everything that's wrong. That wasn't even enough. He allowed His Holy Spirit to indwell us, to become a part of our lives, to live with us every day. God has done everything possible so that He can draw close to us. And yet there's times and seasons where all of us feel distant from God. If we're going to be a friend of God, you're going to become that friend when you want to be. We, we can't blame anybody else. You can't blame your wife. You can't blame your husband. You can't blame your parents. You can't blame your kids because this is a personal decision. If you feel far away from God today, guess who moved? It wasn't God. It's us. Early on in the quarantine, uh, several people had, had mentioned to me, they, they said, you know, man, I, this has been good in some ways. It's been really rough in some ways, but it's been good. I feel like I'm closer to God right now than ever before. And one of those people I asked the other day, I said, how do, you, how do you feel about that closeness right now? And they're like, man, it's tough. Because there's so much going on in life, right? There's so much competing for our time. There's so many different things that are coming. And we're so good at filling up our lives with so many different things. 
God wants us to make him the number one priority in life. And I could have known this as I was laying out this sermon series a long time ago, but I think this is a really important discussion for us to have in this season right now. Because you can tell really what's important to people by what they talk about, can't you? If their kids are the most important thing to them in life, guess what they talk about? They brag about their kids, right? If their job is the most important thing in their life, we, we talk about our jobs. If travel or having experiences is the most important thing, they talk about those experiences and those travels and where they would like to go next. If partying or buying new clothes or, or whatever the case might be is those things that, that really drives you, well, guess what you value most? You talk about those things, and we all do that. And there's nothing wrong talking about our jobs or our kids. Don't misunderstand me this morning. But how much do we really spend time talking about our relationship with Jesus Christ? You notice how Paul approaches this? He said, he said there's nothing greater in the world than knowing Jesus. I, I count everything as garbage compared to my relationship with him. There is a priority sink that is different there than what there is in my life sometimes and maybe yours as well. Jeremiah, the ninth chapter, Jeremiah writes this in verses 23 and 24. He said, the wise should not boast of their wisdom, nor the strong of their strength, nor the rich of their wealth. If you're wise, you're wise, all right? But he said, don't brag about that. Don't let that define you. If you're a strong person, that's wonderful, but don't don't brag about that. Don't let your strength define you. If you're wealthy, that's great. You've been well-blessed, but don't let that define you. Don't, don't brag about your wealth. If you want to boast, if anyone boasts, rather, they should boast that they know and understand me. God said, if you're looking for something to define your life, if you want something for people to look at and say, this is what I'm about, here's my idea of what you should do. You should, you should be defined by your relationship with me, by how well you know me, and about how we work together. Getting close to God gives us really two very valuable things. I want to spend a moment talking about this today because I think, in reality, this is the thing that the world really, really wants and even as Christians sometimes, we really, really want these things, but we don't realize that we're not going to find them out here, but it comes with our relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul recognized that. Those two things are peace and a perspective. Getting close to God will give us peace and a perspective. So let's talk a little bit about that. First one is peace, and in, first John, or in John the 14th chapter, Jesus is about to leave here, and he says to the disciples, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, I do not give it as the world gives because world peace is, is kind of this transient idea, right? I don't know if you've ever felt like that before, but, but when, when, the, when the world says we're going to have a, a set of, it's going to be peaceful right here, it often doesn't work out. It's very, very hard to have peace that's externally applied. God's talking about a different kind of peace. It's not peace like the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus said, my peace comes from a different place. It's not external set of circumstances that say, all right, I can be at peace with this. It's an internal peace that you approach the chaos recognizing that, that you're okay with God and that God has this world under control. And I think that finding peace is one of our deepest needs as God's children. Here's three things that I think may be robbing all of us of peace. And maybe just think about these as we go through them quickly this morning. They may be a part of your life. They've certainly been a part of my life at different times. We lose our peace when the circumstances that we are in are uncontrollable. 
We sit in gridlock traffic and in a traffic jam because there's a wreck on the interstate and we're late for an important event. We're stressed out, right? We're, ah, I can't believe, why did this have to happen today? A couple tries to have children, but they're unsuccessful. And that's just such a frustrating sort of thing. Someone loses their job unexpectedly and wonders how they're going to provide for their family. All those things rob us of peace, right? Because we, we feel like we're not in control and the circumstances are outside of our ability to handle. We lose our peace when people are unchangeable. Sometimes we, we, we want people to become different. We want them to do better. We want people to change but sometimes people don't want to change. And even when we know we, it won't work, sometimes we still try to, to make them change, be changed. And it just keeps us from being peaceful. There's a little prayer that we, we read often at the end of our recovery meetings on Monday night. It's a serenity prayer. And you've probably heard the first part of that prayer. God grant me serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That's the part we normally quote, right? But then there's a little tag portion. It was actually a much longer poem. It just doesn't flow as well in our hearts because it says, accepting one day at a time and one moment at a time, accepting as Jesus did, hardship as a pathway to peace, recognizing this world is sinful and not as I would have it. You know, that's, that's a hard part to do. It's, it's easy to kind of say the first part of that serenity prayer, but accepting as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, oh, that's tough, because I, I want everything to work my way, and I want everyone to have my perspective, right? Those, that thing robs us of, of our peace. The third thing that I think that robs us of peace is when our problems are unexplainable. When there's things that happen in our life that just aren't fair, and things don't always turn out right, and, and we don't always get to know why. I was talking with a friend of mine this week about the book of Job, and, and it's this fantastic story, you know it, of a man who was righteous, who did all things just the way God wanted him to. In fact, he did so well that he stood before God, or, or uh, his life st stood before God as a testimony and a witness in front of Satan. God said, if you considered my servant Job, there is no one like him in the whole world. He's tremendous, and Satan says, oh yeah, it's just because you haven't let me at him. And God said, well, go ahead, Satan, and Satan takes away every possession that he has in one fell swoop. It sounds like it was just a, a period of a few hours. Everything is taken from him, including his children. Still doesn't curse God and die. Satan comes back, and God says, well, have you considered my servant Job now? Now are you convinced? Satan's like, oh, he's just incredibly selfish. You let me strike him with some disease, and he will buckle. God said, you can, take, you can strike him with the disease, but you can't kill him. And he strikes him with probably the most painful concoction of things that he could cook up. And then he calls his friends to come and visit. You remember that, right? They just sit there for about a week and stare at him because he's so miserable and such a mess. His own wife says, Job, just curse God and die. But Job doesn't. He's faithful. In the last part of the book of Job, God comes down and challenges everything that Job said out of foolishness during his, his, painful, his painful ordeal. And then it says that God restored double of everything that he had taken from Job. And he gave him all of his, his, his kids and, and, and family back, not the same ones, but different ones. Um, he had more children. And the book of Job closes with a happily, happily ever after kind of tag, except there's one thing that we often don't notice. And that is that God never told Job why that happened. He never had an idea that this was 
This was him on display before the most evil being in the universe and he had done excellently. No, he had knew none of that. He just knew that one day he had everything, next day he had nothing. The next day he was broken and in poor health and then all of a sudden he was restored. That story was saved for him for the other side of eternity. Sometimes when our problems are unexplainable, it can take away all of our peace. So how do we get peace in our life? The Bible simply says in Philippians, the fourth chapter, we're stealing from a sermon that we'll take a look at here in a few weeks, but you have to look at this right now. Philippians, the fourth chapter in verse six, Paul gives us his formula for peace. He said, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. We want to be closer to God. We want to have that fellowship with God. We want to have that same, that same idea that Paul had, hey, you can take everything away from me because I've got Jesus. If we want to have that kind of abandonment, if we want to draw close and have that friendship with Jesus, guys, it starts with communication. It starts with us talking with him. I don't know how many of you have ever had a relationship with somebody that you, didn't, you never talked to, but those aren't really strong, close relationships especially if you live with that person, right? There's something wrong with the relationship if two people never communicate unless there's, unless there's some, some challenges physically with their, with their mouth or ears. Uh, that's just perfectly natural that if you're with somebody as human beings, we begin to communicate. And God wants us to recognize that that same option is available for us. The Bible says to pray without ceasing, <laughs> to, to do all things with that idea that God is right here and present with me. So we get a sense of peace, but we also get a perspective, a perspective that we would not see if we did not have the relationship with Jesus Christ that we're called to have. Isaiah, the 55th chapter, verse number eight. <clears throat> this, is a, uh, this is the uh, living translation version of this, but I like how it puts it. He says, this plan of mine is not what you would work out. Neither are my thoughts the same as your thoughts. We've heard that verse a million times, but I like how that first section of scripture lays out. It said, this plan of mine is not how you would have planned it. There's so many things in my life that I can say, yeah, God, I wouldn't have planned it like that. <laughs> no, I wouldn't have gone that direction. God, no, I, I didn't see it quite like that. This is not the kind of plan I would have worked out. And this, that's not, my thinking is not the same as your thinking. And, and guys, I think that's one of the challenges for us as we mature in Christ is beginning to look at the world through, through a lens that God looks at the world. And we can't just do that immediately. It takes time. Imagine you're driving up a mountain road. You get behind an old log truck right there and it's going about 35 miles an hour up this snaky switchback sort of road. <clears throat> and suppose you had a friend that, that had a helicopter and he, he's, he's flying overhead, and he says, hey, go ahead and pass. You're all clear. What's the difference between the two of you? You're in a car, all you can see is logs sticking out in a road that's going zigzaggy. Your buddy's in a helicopter, he's looking down, picks up the phone and says, just go ahead and pass the guy, you're clear. Well, the difference is perspective, right? One of them sees everything that's going on. They have an elevated viewpoint, and you're just down there on the road kind of trying to burrow through it. And guys, that's where we are in life sometimes. We're in that car, stuck behind that log truck, and we're like, is this going to work out, God? Is this going to happen the way you, you really said it would? God, God has that bird's eye view. God can see what's going on. 
And God wants to share that biblical, that perspective with us through his word. Without God's perspective in our life, it can be a life full of constant fear and frustration. You spend days asking questions that you really don't have an answer for. And a lot of us have asked these and heard people ask these. Why is this happening to me? Why is that happening to other people? What is the purpose of this life? What is the meaning of life? And there's a million questions that fit into that. When, when we don't have that elevated viewpoint, we're like, what are we here for anyway? Why am I driving down this road? Why am I stuck behind this person? Philippians 4 and verse, or Proverbs 4 and verse 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a person, but eventually it ends in death. You know, if you just yank out and try to pass that truck on your own without having that buddy in a helicopter, you, it might not end well. You might meet another logging truck coming down the mountain or going up the mountain, whichever it might be, and it might not end well for you at all. But by gaining perspective, you get outside of your own thinking and you begin to see the world the way that God does. There's a great verse in the book of Psalms that always has kind of captivated my attention. It's Psalms 103 in verse 7. And it's talking about a period of time where, where God and God was dealing with Moses as they were wandering out of the land of, of slavery into the land of promise. And, and this is what it says. He says that God, he in this case, he made known his ways to Moses, but his deeds to the people of Israel. It's talking about two very different kind of relationships right here. The people of Israel knew what God was doing. They, they saw manna when they walked out of their tent that morning. They saw as water came out of a rock where there had been no water before. They saw as God led them through the Red Sea and through the Jordan River. They saw God protect them from outside enemies. They saw God bring discipline and bring, and bring salvation to their camp. They saw what God was doing. But Moses understood why God was doing God said, I, I talk to Moses as, as I talk to a friend. God made known his ways to Moses. God, God revealed himself to Moses because they had a personal relationship. And in the New Testament, God not only extended that personal relationship to the few superhero leaders like Moses and others in the Old Testament, but he extended that invitation to every single one of us. That's why Paul wrote, like he did in Philippians 3. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else. I've counted all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Years ago, there was a college professor in a British university that asked his class, <laughs> said, hey, what would you like to do in your life? And they gave the, the answers just like the Duke professors kind of uh, students did. Pretty normal group of, uh, this. some said, well, I'd like to be a championship athlete. I, I would like to be a wealthy businessman. I would like to be an influential politician. I would like to have those three things that we talked about before. But one student, when asked, quietly and humbly said, I know you're going to laugh at me for this. <laughs> but I want to be a saint. Now, I think they were talking about the kind of saint where like, like, like people receive sainthood. But the truth is, is that every single one of us in this room this morning have the opportunity to be a saint. We have an opportunity to be a part of God's family. 
And, and that, that opportunity motivated Paul to do something extraordinary. Paul said, you know what, I'm all in. I will give everything because of what I have been given. Guys, we, we all know that in order to gain in life, you always have to give something up, don't you? Uh, if, you, if young children give up sleep and extra income in order to gain, or uh, young families give up sleep and extra income in order to gain children in their life, right? And, and they're a great blessing. But if you've had them and you have little ones right now, you know they cost a lot and they take a lot, right? Students give up hangout time in order to get a required grade or to, to develop their body conditioning so that they can, they can be the athlete that they want to be. Fathers give up their unwind time in order to gain an investment with their children. Guys give up hours of sleep and life in order to get to that next level on a video. Um, many give up cookies and desserts so that you can keep your weight in a certain range. And sometimes Christians give up things as well. They give up day off options in order to gain the opportunities of gathering together with Christ's family as you guys are today. A lot of Christians give up a significant part of their income in order to support the work of the church throughout the world and, and locally. And what Paul is saying here is that, that Jesus' love for him has motivated him to do the same. Matthew, the 13th chapter, in verse 44, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's hidden in a field. And a man, man found the treasure, and he hid it again. And from joy over it, he goes and he sells everything that he has, and he buys a field. So if you're trying to understand this concept, Jesus said, hey, let me, let me just tell you a quick little parable of the guy that was out in the field, and he finds this enormous treasure, and he's like, wow, look at this. And he covers it over again, and he goes and he sells his house, and he sells his car, and he sells his boat, and he sells his, his uh, he cashes in his 401k. Everything he has, he liquidates, because he knows that there's something far more valuable in that piece of land. And he goes and he buys that piece of land, because he knows that on that piece of land is an extraordinary treasure. And we would all say that that is a good investment, right? Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like that. The church, being a part of the family of God is, is just like that, of finding something so massive, so wonderful, so valuable that you're willing to give everything else for it. It's a theme through Jesus' teaching over and over again. Luke 14, verse 33. Jesus said, so none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his own possessions. In other words, becoming a disciple of Jesus means, means writing loss in big red letters all over every possession and everything that we have in this world in order to gain Christ. I like how Jesus puts this in Matthew, the 19th chapter, in verse 29. He's reminding his followers uh, uh, that, they're, that, they're, that their sacrifice is noticed by God. He said, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my sake... Will receive, will, will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Jesus runs through a whole list of things. A lot of those things are things that we would not want to walk away from, especially the family connections, right? We're like, you're family? But Jesus said, if you, if you lose those things, you will receive many times as much. It's a funny thing, but you can't outgive God. Seek first the kingdom of God and live right and all these things will be added to you, Jesus said. So the, the pagans are out and they're kind of trying to get the stuff and they're trying to earn it and they're trying to worry about it and trying to pull it in and they're trying to gather 
He said, why don't you just seek first the kingdom and allow God to give? And on top of that, Jesus said, not only will you get back even more than you have been given, but you will also inherit eternal life. Luke 14 and verse 26, Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own mother or father or wife or children, brothers or sisters, yet even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now you know, as well as I do today, that Jesus is not talking here about literally hating people. But what he's talking about is the same thing that Paul is talking about, this willingness on our part to put our priorities in a particular order. He said, I want to be number one in your life. Paul said, I will make Jesus Christ the number one most important thing in my life. In 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, he writes this. He said, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Guys, we're here today and we have a hope of heaven because of what he did for us. We, we, we're, we're blessed people. We live in one of the most wealthy and blessed nations on the face of the earth. But let's not allow the possessions that God has blessed us with and the things that God has given us to derail us from living our life and pursuing the most important thing that we can pursue and living our life for the most valuable thing that we can live for. If Christ is the supreme value in our life, then we can really say what Paul said in, in, verse, in the second part of verse 8, where he said, for his sake, I've discarded everything else. I count it all as garbage so that I can gain Christ. Christ showed his love for us by dying for us. But we show our love for him in a very different way. We show our love for him by living for him. We show his, our love for him by, by getting up every morning and going about what maybe would look to us to be a very boring routine, but going about that daily routine in a very deliberate way. We're thinking in our minds to ourselves, today, today I'm going to make a difference in this world. Today I'm going to show the light of Jesus Christ. Today I'm going to live for his glory. And if I get offended today, it's no big deal. If I lose a little bit of money today, it's not a big deal. Because I know Jesus Christ. I understand what he's doing in this world. I know what he wants to do through my life. And I'm willing to be used for his glory. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Matthew, the 16th chapter. I heard a psychologist one day say this is the most powerful statement that anyone can live by. He said, I don't remember who, who said that. <laughs> and it was funny because a lot of people in that room knew who said that. It was Jesus. But he's exactly right. If we try to hold on, we'll lose every time. But when we give it to him, we gain more than we can ever imagine. We're going to stand in a moment. We're going to sing just a song of reflection in a song of meditation. At the end of that, we'll be seated again, and Brody's going to come this morning and lead our hearts and prepare us to think about what it is that Jesus did for us so long ago on the cross, that his body was broken, that his blood was shed, so that we might have the opportunity to do what we have been doing here today. Let's stand together, church, and let's sing together.